Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. We've mentioned this a few times because it's pretty much a summary of our vision statement, but our main goal, our vision, our objective, the reason we're here as a church and as individuals really is to glorify God. And, um, and, and that should affect every part of our life, our church life, our individual lives. If it doesn't bring glory to God, we, we shouldn't really be that interested or attracted to it. We're not... You know, if it's all about man getting the glory, it, it's, it's not on our radar. If, if, if I'm doing something that's all about me, that just improves my life, my lot, my standing, then i got to be careful. i got to reprioritise to make sure is this what I'm pursuing, what I'm thinking of, what I'm planning for, what I'm aiming for, is this bringing glory just to me or to God? And it, so everything I, sh- I do should, should bring glory to God should honour him, should be a blessing to him, should bring a smile to his face, should please him. The way I think, the decisions I make, the, the career that I have, the way I use the gifts that I've been given, the approach that I have in, in relationships, the, the way I look after my health, my body, uh, the, the way I invest my time, recreational pursuits, uh, every aspect of my life, including my finances. And so for the next few weeks, we're talking about glorifying God with our finances. And, um, and so in this term, in, in regard to money, if I'm just earning money, saving money, spending money just for myself, on myself, with no regard to God, then I'm living way short of what I'm called to. I should be bringing glory to God, even in this area, the way I, I manage money. And so how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Three main ways, and we're going to talk about them, one each week. In fact, Zach Ward is going to preach uh, in a few weeks on the third one. Uh, and we're talking here about my attitude to finances, bringing glory to God, the uh, generosity that I have with my finances, and my faith applied to my finances. And so this morning I want to talk about um, my attitude, which my attitude towards money should be summed up or can be summed up and should be summed up in one word, and that is the word stewardship, which, you know, we use this word. Uh, it's an old English word, um, but it simply means a manager. And Jesus told a number of parables using stewards or managers or servants in the parable to represent us and a master in the parable that represents God. And uh, he wanted us to catch a hold of this concept of what it means, which is basically that everything that I have in my life isn't really mine, it's God's, and I'm a steward or a manager of it. And in fact, Ruth referred to King David and that passage that he uh, was quoted in saying basically the same thing. All that we've got, well, it's God's anyway. And he was, you know, a pretty important, rich kind of guy and successful and could have been very tempted to say, this is all the work of my hand. I did it my way. Do you know, ironically and sadly, that that is the number one song requested to be sung at funerals? And I've done funerals when they did request it 
and I've talked him out of it because I think it's a bit of a sad shocker uh, because life is a little more than just doing it your way for yourself. And, um, and so David cottoned onto that. Jesus wants us to. Uh, but it's a very different approach to life to think of yourself as a steward, to think that everything you have is not really yours because you have it and you've worked for it and you've bought it. And then to be told, hang on, that's God's. It's a, it's a challenge. It's, it's just one of many mind shifts that we need to take as we follow the Lord. Because, and this is why Romans chapter 12 tells us uh, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So when we're born again and we start following Jesus, there are some things that some paradigms or ways of doing life or, or, or the, the way you think, your thought processes need to change. For example, the Bible says we're called to love everyone, everyone, even those that don't love you, even those that really don't love you. The ones that are unlovely, unlovable, unlikable. Jesus said anyone can love people that love them. I want you to love and forgive and bless enemies. Oh, is that really in there? Yes, it is. And, and so that's an uncomfortable truth and a reality of following the Lord that isn't naturally found, easily followed. Uh, we're, we're told to lose our lives in order to find them. Well, whatever that looks like, it doesn't sound comfortable either. And, and it isn't, but it's God's calling, a higher calling. We're, we're called to a life of service. We're called servants and, and to be used by God as he builds his church. We're called to walk by faith, not by sight, to be filled with the Spirit. To, there are you know, different ways of doing life as a follower of Jesus than what we would find easily comfortably, naturally flowing with our sinful self and the ways of the world around us. And one of them is this area of being a steward and to say, everything I have is not really mine, it's, it's God's. I've just, I'm just holding stuff temporarily and I just need to be a good manager of this while I'm here on earth. So let's look at one of the parables that Jesus told that illustrates this. This is Matthew 25, very well-known story. Jesus says, there's a man that went on a journey uh, from verse 14, Matthew 25, 14. Oh, there it is on the screen. Um, he called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. So let me just interrupt there and say this word talent was a measure of weight, as you may know. And it, and it was a worth or weighed about in today's terms 30 uh, or about 35 kil kilograms. And the implication in the story is that it's a weight of gold, a talent of gold. So if you look at today's gold price, you can figure out that one talent is about $1.5 million in today's money. So he's saying basically this guy got his investments, wanted to go on a big holiday perhaps, and said, here guys, don't bother me. I don't want to get and check my share price while I'm sail on the Mediterranean or whatever, here's $1.5 million for you, here's $3 million for you, and to the other guy, there's $7.5 million, five talents, five times 1.5. So then we read on. 
He who had received the five talents, seven and a half mil, went at once and traded with the money and he gave them five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went, dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered me five talents. Here's five more. Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same thing for the two talents. He came forward, right? You can read there. His master said to him, Same thing. And then verse 24, the one with one talent came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you have scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful, that's the ESV, don't you love it? Slothful, lazy servant, you knew that I reap, that I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Question mark. In other words, that's incorrect. That was your assumption. So you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I could have at least received what was mine with some interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to the guy who's got five talents. Sorry, who has now got ten talents. For to everyone who has more, more will be given. Sorry, to everyone who has, will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast this worthless servant out into the utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Some good news and some bad news. Um, Which servant do you want to be? It's not hard to figure out. Now there's five principles I want to draw uh, from this parable that should shape our thinking and attitudes towards this concept of stewardship. The first one is the principle of possession. In other words, God owns everything. It's not hard to see there. The master wasn't physically around. The servants didn't own the money. They had the money. But notice it said uh, he entrusted to them his property. He was coming back. Yeah, so they had it in their hand. Imagine the owner of a local business going on holidays, like going to America, and leaving his business in the hands of a manager, which did happen. And Byron came back, and I'm pleased to report that the business was in good shape, and he had left it in good hands, and Frosty done a great job. But imagine if Byron had come home, and seen on the side of all the utes, not complete playground services, but Frosty's fantastic flooring. (laughs) And then Byron goes into the warehouse and goes up the stairs into the office, and there's Frosty in the corner with his feet up on the table in a lounge, sipping his Campos coffee, watching replays of the Super Rugby, and just chilling out. Um, ordering Emily to rock up in the hot black car with his hamburger for lunch. And uh, Byron does a bit of research, finds most of the guys have been let off. There's no work coming in. Uh, He's opened a secret bank account. Uh, Who knows what's going... That's not how it works. And that's not how it did work. And, you know, he wouldn't be happy because it's not his business. It's his business and he's managing it. As I said, he did a great job. But, you know, he would not... He would not be impressed. And, um, and so, uh, 
you know, th- this is the same for us. Uh, everything we've got, and not just material stuff, even, even the abilities that we have, even the, everything that we are is ultimately God's. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said in his famous book, Mere Christianity. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. And, of course, in the Old Testament, God wanted his people to understand this because when the people of Israel were preparing to enter into the promised land, God lined them up and through Moses spoke to them clearly about a number of things. Ten commandments, you read this in Deuteronomy. Uh, He says to them... um, Uh, don't forget, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, because he's saying God's looked after you. Don't forget, he's caring for you and protecting you. Don't get too prideful. And so he, he, he warns them and he goes on and he says, when you do well in the promised land, Uh, that's cool, but he couples it with a warning. He says, watch out that your heart doesn't become proud and make you forget God and think that you've done it all yourself. And we read this in Deuteronomy 8.17. He says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So see the warning there against pride? We think, you know, oh, well, my success, my wealth creation, it's all based on ourselves. No, even if you've earned good money and you're very clever and you've made great decisions and you've worked hard and you've built a good life, it doesn't start with you. Take one step back. It came from God. And so he's saying, just give credit where credit's due. Just be reminded of who created you with those abilities. He says, he gave you the power to get wealth. I've got wealth. I've, yeah, 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 but who gave you the power to get wealth? Oh, all right then, okay. And so uh, that's the reminder and the, and the warning that you're not prideful about it. And notice also why we are given wealth. Power to get wealth so that he may confirm the covenant. In other words, to partner with God in doing something important that is bigger than us. Not just he gave you power to make wealth so that you can have a nice vineyard or house or whatever they could have enjoyed just for themselves. You know, we are called to build God's kingdom, to do something useful, something beyond ourselves. And so this is stewardship. This is teaching us, as it taught them, the principle of possession, that it's all God's, yeah? So back to the parable of the talents. The second principle we see is the principle of allocation. So this is where God lends us stuff. It's all his, but he's allocating to different people different abilities, different amounts of money, everything in our life. And, um, and so everything we have is, is on loan from, from the Lord while we're, we're here on earth. And remember we did that demonstration of the potter and the clay. He's the potter were the clay and we're all different types of clay used for different purposes, right? So the stoneware can't whinge and complain that it's not a Royal Dalton figurine made out of porcelain. It's a different kind of clay and it's going to make a good pot for, for what it is, for that kind of clay. And so too, we've got different talents. 
We've got different bank accounts. We've got different levels of income. We've got different jobs, all different circumstances. And see here, the master, he had, what, eight talents of gold. So that's, what's that, $12 million roughly. He could have divided it, the three servants, four mil each, simple. But notice it's he divided it, he didn't do it equally, it said divided according to their ability. So one guy had obviously shown some aptitude in managing the master's money and investing more than the other guy. So he measured it up and said, well, I know I'll get a good return with this guy with this amount, so I'll, I'll do that. And that was probably part of the one guy, the one talent guy's problem, that he was resentful about the amounts that the other guys got. So the message there is there's no point comparing yourself to other people or complaining about what you don't have that someone else has got. You just got to enjoy and embrace and appreciate what you do have in terms of your abilities as well as your financial position. Because guess, guess what? There's always going to be someone that's got more money, different circumstances, a seemingly better job or some other set of a situation that looks like they've got a better life. And you can get really focused on them. Meanwhile, there are literally billions of people on planet Earth who would trade places with you in a jiffy. And I'm not just talking about poor people in poor countries. Even in your own circle of influence, there would be people that would think and maybe do say, and probably good for you to remind you, of some wonderful things you've got in your life that maybe they don't have. And yet human nature sometimes goes, oh, yeah, yeah, but, and we maybe just take for granted some amazing things and focus on what we don't have or what someone else has got. And so there's a real message there. I love the guy with two talents here because he doesn't complain about the guy with five talents. Like the guy with one talent, the guy with two talents could also have said, yeah, he doesn't. He just gets on with what he's meant to do and he gets the same reward. And what does he get on? Well, that's the next point, the principle of utilisation. God expects me to use what I have, what he's given me. Not just hold on to it because the two stewards were putting the master's money to work. And on that basis, they were told, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done well. You've done good, as they say. Rugby league talk. Played hard, done good. Went up the guts. Um, someone, was it you? Someone said you can, well, that's what we were talking about in a business meeting. What can we guarantee in, our business, in their businesses. What do you guarantee your customers? And I asked them, I said, can I interject here? Can I ask you, because you're members of the church, what can we guarantee as a church? You know, what do we say? What's part of that? What's, what's, our, what's a feature? We, and we talked about, well, this wonderful sense of community. We guarantee a friendly welcome, a free coffee. Anyone that visits the presence of God, we guarantee an opportunity to respond to the gospel and pray and be prayed for. We guarantee faithful prayer. We can guarantee, and someone said, we guarantee one sporting analogy in every, in every message, you know. So there it is. You've just had your rugby league talk. Um, but enough of rugby league because of the state of origin. We're talking about something else. Um, so, uh, yeah, these guys, they got their reward um, not because the master just arbitrarily thought, oh, yeah, I like the look of you. No, no, they had done something with what they were entrusted. They earned their reward. And, and conversely, the guy that didn't do anything with the money was called wicked and lazy and punished. And it's a very sobering thought because 
He didn't steal the money. He gave back what the master had given him. He just didn't use what was given him. He just didn't do something with his life. So, you know, it's not enough to just say, oh, phew, got my ticket to heaven, I'm saved, but life's so tough, I'm just going to dribble through life and ask God to bless me and hope that people pick me up along the way. No, you've got a responsibility. And, of course, we're all broken. We're all under construction. You don't have to pretend to be perfect then and, you know, okay, all right, I'll never talk about my problems. No, at the same time, we can be going through stuff and working through our issues but also be glad that, hey, I'm on the way to heaven and I can help other people get there and I've got a purpose and I'm, yeah, I'm alive, I'm breathing, I've still got something to do and so away I go. So both are true, yeah? So, um, so the talents, you know, obviously in this parable represents all the resources God has given us, our time, our talent and our treasure. But our focus and our thought is along the treasure angle because we're talking about that and money is a good test of our stewardship because it's measurable and it's consistent. We're always dealing with it and you can really count up what you're doing with it. And so I need to ask myself, well, am I making good use of my money? Or should I say his money? And the Bible tells me how I can make a very good start on that. The Bible tells me clearly what I can do with the first 10%. Like I said, it's measurable because the Bible teaches tithing the first 10 percent of whatever comes into my hands the first 10 percent prioritizing god even before i pay taxes it's not a leftover amount because who knows there's not a lot left over sometimes you've got to prioritize and uh even even financial planners that aren't even christians will say uh pay give first then pay yourself second and and you know in other words save some money always put aside something for yourself and then pay your taxes and your bills and, and then look at, you know, disposable income that you can spend on something else. But this is a very strong starting point and foundation for using money well, the tithe. And we're told to bring it in to God's house. In the Old Testament, that was the, the tabernacle, the temple, the payment of the Levites. Uh, in the New Testament, it's the church. And so this honours God, it... it blesses the building of, the, of God's church in a practical way and it's a reinforcement for myself of this principle of stewardship and the attitude of honouring God and being reminded this is God's. In fact, even down to the Garden of Eden, the tree that they were told not to touch is a symbol of this is God's, set apart for God. And, um, and then, of course, then beyond the tithe, we were called to invest and to save and to spend and to, you know, spend our money wisely and to give and to think carefully, how am I going to give? I'm going to give into good soil, sow my seed into good soil. And, you know, there's a real sense of satisfaction when you give to a good cause. You know that feeling when you get a bargain and you go shopping and it's like, oh, this is the, the dress or car part, dress or car part, sorry, I'm not pointing at the right people, I pointed at Andrew, when I said dress, and Eleanor, when I said car part, maybe. But, you know, you, you're looking for something and you go, oh, and it's a great buy and it's the thing you've been saving for. And you know, That sense of satisfaction, that can be just as strong with our giving. With our, like Ruth was talking about, you know, we were in uh, Oxford Falls for 10 years. We met there, trained for ministry there, and we gave, Ruth was, you know, saying I was, I don't know, what, what did the generosity have to, oh, just with you, Daniel. Um, when I first married, met Ruth and we were 
uh, going to get married. She had already, she didn't bring a debt into the marriage, but she brought a pledge into the marriage. She said, I've still got to fulfill my pledge. Full-time student, she had pledged like $3,000 for the building fund. And so we took, and then we took on a pledge that we, uh, in early stages of marriage, was a huge sacrifice. <sighs> and then um, went to Russia and was living off the missionary income and we didn't get that completed till we got back and we were back here on the coast but um we gave significant for what was us our situation and of course the joy we have when we visit that church or hear what's going on in that church and through pastor phil's ministry we can share in that because we played a part in that so um yeah so this is the the principle of utilization we need to keep in mind uh we're called to use stuff as Andrew Murray wrote this, the great Christian writer from South Africa said, the world asks, what does a man own? But Christ asks, how does he use it? Okay, fourth principle, principle of accountability. God is going to judge us all. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear that? Because it's in the parable. The good news is the judgment for sin is dealt with if we're a believer in Jesus. So unrighteousness is cleansed and we, you know, we can't stand in God's presence on our own we'll be cast into the lake of fire but we believe in Jesus the judgment for sin is no longer a deal we're saved we're forgiven our home in heaven is secure but you know believers will still be judged this is why Jesus said store up treasures in heaven because you're judged on your works there again not not that your salvation's at stake Right? Your home in heaven's fine, but, but there are rewards. And so God is basically going to audit you. He's going to judge how, you well, how well you did with what you're entrusted because God's made an investment in you and he wants a return. So we should live with that awareness because we're going to have to give an account. Um, well... I don't want to take too much longer, but I'll just get on to the last principle. So the principle of accountability, you know, we, we, we're, going to, we're going to have to stand before God. And, and that's a good but sobering thought. Uh, but the last principle, you'll be pleased to know, is the principle of reward. Because these guys, the two good servants, got rewarded. And God's looking for faithfulness and he blesses those that are using what they've been given well. And both these guys received affirmation, they received promotion, and they received celebration. And that's pretty cool. And of course, long term, that relates to us getting to heaven. But get this, it relates to us as we go through life as well. Because notice what he said, you've been faithful in little, now you will be given much. So there's an increase in blessing and responsibility throughout life, depending on what you've been doing with what you've been given. Can you see that? So rather than us just hope and wait for blessing or just hope for getting to heaven, we can actually start bringing blessing into our life by being faithful with what we've got. Because some people think, oh, if I had a lot of money, then I could afford to tithe. Or then I'd really like to be generous and I could help people out. Well, that may not happen if you don't start with what you've got. I heard Rick Warren talking about this, and I'll finish with this story. Well, I'll be coming close to finishing with this story. Let's be precise. Uh, and he sold, you know, his book called The Purpose Driven Life? It sold 30 million copies. 
number one bestseller from America ever. It's the second most translated book into other languages in history after the Bible. He said, he said this, people have said to me, oh, I'd love to have the money that you've earned. He said, no, you may not want that because you may not know how to handle it. So we all know the stories of people get a windfall from a lottery and then they're, you know, worse off than they were 10 years later. Not just financially, relationships are ruined. You can't trust your friends and, all, you know, your wife wants too much out of you and won't let you buy enough motorbikes. It's just terrible. So you just don't want to go there. Um, so he says, you may not want that because you may not know how to handle it. He says, you know why God let me write The Purpose Driven Life? Because he could trust me with the money. And he goes on and he talks about the fact that he had been in ministry for 30 years serving God faithfully before he wrote the book. And then he earned big bucks for writing the book. But he's shown himself capable to be a good steward with smaller amounts so then God can bless him and trust him with larger amounts. So, and there's, there's, you know, there's so many rewards. Where do we begin for, for giving? Not just financially, you know, materially. I like this story. All right, I re- I, okay, last story. But this is a cute story. One man's pacing back and forth on a deserted island. Two men marooned on a deserted island. You heard this? Forgive me if you've heard it. They're both, uh, they're marooned on a deserted island. One guy is um, worried and scared and uh, he's pacing back and forth. The other guy's just lying in the sun. First guy says to the second guy, aren't you afraid? We're going to die. And he says, no, 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 I'm not afraid. I make $100,000 a week and I tithe faithfully to my church. My pastor will find me. (laughs) All right. Come on, Musos, you come up, please. Um, So God blesses and rewards good stewardship and faithful tithing. Um, As I said before, uh, thank you. Please take those cards and think and pray and... um, bring a, a pledge uh, in before the end of the month uh, with a gift that you get a, a tax deduction this end of the financial year for. You know, number one, beyond all the, the talk of buildings and money, is the Lord Jesus. And we come before him right now in prayer. Lord Jesus, it is all about you. We, we, we are stewards of what you've given us. Uh, not just money, but as we've said, every talent we have, every opportunity, every gift... Because we want to we wanna be a blessing to you somehow, like the way you've blessed and saved us. This is your church that you're building, each one of us, part of your family, your body. So Lord Jesus, help us keep our attitudes right. Help us to know that we are your sons, firstly. And then after that, we want to be your servants, to honour you, to work for you and, and commit all that we do to you. Thank you, Lord. Your hand is upon everyone. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your leadership and, and your lordship over our lives, for guidance and protection. And, you know, just as we're seated here today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, We always want to give you an opportunity before we leave today. When we finish the service, we'll sing a song in a moment, but I'll always stay down here at the end. Come and talk to me if you want to pray a prayer of commitment to Christ or even if you just have questions about what it is to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, come and talk to me. Pray for you if you've got any other needs when we finish the service because Jesus is alive.
and he moves and, and hears and answers prayer and blesses. Thank you, Lord. Your blessing on everyone here today. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Yeah.